Hey firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. You know, what I've been thinking about these days is being included. I mean, we all remember that feeling of going into the cafeteria or the playground and having somebody going, hey, over here, sit with us. We know that feeling. We know the feeling of being included. I mean, this is one of the primary reasons I started Firecracker Department because I want to include folks. And I had this great experience yesterday. I was on my own and I was thinking about dinner. My dinners, FYI, by myself, not great. They're usually out of the pan, noodles, maybe some vegetables, and if I have some protein, I'll throw that in there too. I'm so my father's daughter with that kind of thing. And I'm okay with that. I actually, you know, I'm, I kind of watch TV or I'm working through dinner when I'm by myself, and so it suits me just fine. But last night I went for a walk and I bumped into one of my neighbors and they said, come over for a glass of wine. And I thought, no, you're having guests over. I don't want to, and she insisted, so I joined them. And glass of wine turned into dinner and I felt like I'd walked into a cafeteria and my neighbors had said, come on over here, we wanna sit with you. It just filled my heart and I really encourage you to make sure that your eyes are up and looking for anybody else that needs a place to sit in the cafeteria. And if you're that person that's entering the playground, you got a place at the firecracker table with us. Guaranteed, my friend. All right, let's move on to one of my favorite things about Firecracker Department, the firecracker shout out. Now, if you have a firecracker shout out for anybody in your community, past your community. Maybe it's somebody that you just saw on TV and you just want to give them a shout out. We would love to hear from you. Send a quick voice memo to firecrackerdepartment.com. Make sure you include your name, the firecracker's name, and a couple of handles so we can follow along their creative ride. But I sure love the love that's coming out of the firecracker community like this. And here we go. Here's our firecracker shout out today. Hi, my name is Lamar Markovsky, and I'm a Toronto-based actress. I also do voiceover work and uh, narration, improv, film, television. I love the arts. So I wanted to give a big shout-out to Naomi Sneakers. Thank you for all the fantastic firecracker departments you have running. Alyssa Abler for having a fantastic music group, Daily Fair. And she's also on Instagram under Winter Thistle. A big shout out to Nadine Brito and Francesca Cavello for doing the fantastic writers group that we have on Thursdays. Thank you so much for everything that you've done, Naomi. We love you. We're sending you big hugs and kisses. Thank you for everything. Mwah. Uh, I just, I mean, I love Lamore. Lamore is one of our tried and true writers at the Writing Burst Thursdays that we host. And she also pops into brunch a whole bunch of times and just offers her love and support and creative energy. And uh, we're lucky to have her in the community for sure. Thanks, Lamore. And of course, oh my God, Alyssa, Fran, Nadine, give me a break. Those people, I mean, if I was getting a softball team together, they'd be my first pick for my team. They'd say, who do you want to pick? And I'd be like, Alyssa, Fran, Nadine. And they'd say, oh, you'd have to go back and forth. And I was like, no, I'm going to just take those three. Game over. And that would be a great softball team. Who's kidding who? We'd have a blast. So thanks, Lamore. And don't forget to send your firecracker shout out to firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com. All right, on with the show. Our guest on the show today is writer, director, actor, producer, British slash Canadian, Madeline Sims Fewer. Now, after finishing her BFA with honours, thank you very much, in film production at York University in Toronto, she went back to London, England to finish her MFA in acting at the Drama Centre in London. She is an alum of the Berlin Now Talent Campus 2016 and the Rotterdam Lab this year in 2021. 
Madeline met Dusty Mancinelli at the 2015 TIFF Filmmakers Lab, and they quickly joined forces as a powerhouse filmmaking duo to found DM Films. Their jam is on the naturalistic performance styles with their films exploring gender politics, human nature, and also abuse of power. Their first collaboration was the short film Slap Happy, which screened at notable festivals like BFI London Film Festival, Vancouver International Film Festival, and Slamdance. Their next short, Woman in Stall, won the Jury Award for Narrative Student Short at the Austin Film Festival and the Narrative Short's Grand Jury Prize at Slamdance. And their third short, Chubby, had its world premiere at Telluride and won the Silver Dragon Award for Best Director at the Krakow Film Festival. Now, their debut feature, Violation, had its world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival, where Madeline was a TIFF rising star. Yeah, TIFF was just the beginning for her. Violation won the Emerging Canadian Artist Award at the Calgary International Film Festival, the Emerging Canadian Director Award at the Vancouver International Film Festival, and Madeline won the Vancouver Critics Circle Award for Best Actress. Violation had its international premiere at Sundance Film Festival, Texas premiere at South by Southwest, and has been nominated for five, five of them, five Canadian Screen Awards, including the John Dunning Best First Feature Film Award and Best Female Actor in a Leading Role for Madeline, who is playing Miriam. Woo, that's a lot. That's a lot of awards. I mean, you can tell why I was excited to speak with Madeline. You can tell by the way we speak, what kind of artist and what kind of integrity they have behind their work. And I'm pretty excited to share this chat with you. Here's my chat with Madeline Sims-Dewer. You know, it's so funny. I think we spoke about this on the red carpet. There's a wild connection, two connections. A, you were born in Little Britain, I Ontario. Was. Yeah. Which is actually, I'm up in the Corthas. So oh, it's really? close to where I am right now, but I had no oh, idea. It's, a, it's obviously a tiny town. It's a tiny town in the middle of nowhere. All I remember from it, because I left, we moved to England when I was two. And all I remember is that there was like a little chip shop at the end of our street. So you'd go down, we lived totally isolated in this old red brick farmhouse. And then you go down the street to get your chips drive back and yeah that's that's basically it that's little Britain <laughs> yes 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 but then you moved to you were you were born and grew up in Bath also oddly enough I'm connected because my brother was living in Bradford-on-Avon for many many years which is just hop skip Bradford-on-Avon is where my mum lived when I left Bath um, and moved back to Canada when I was I just turned 18 my mum moved to Bradford-on-Avon and I went to primary school there it's so incredible it's just got a feeling to it the kind of like a mythological feeling it's this yeah crazy old almost spooky place but yeah really really there's something there's something spooky about it but it is it's sort of like a like a a Dickens novel a little bit Mm. like walking down the cobble stone hills and and then they have the little canal that you can boat a lot like there's some really beautiful aspects of it like having images like that you said like as a kid you were just collecting images for future films I wanted to be a filmmaker from I I think I the earliest memories I have of of watching movies and thinking this is what I want to do I was probably five or six years old I I always wanted to do it what was the film that you watched that you were like oh this I want to do this kind of stuff the film, I think there are a couple. Uh, Willow was one of them. I don't know if you've seen Willow. Ron Howard directed oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. with uh, Val yes. Kilmer. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a big one. I love adventure films. Um, that was huge. The Adam West Batman. Um, that was a 
a big kind of formative TV show. I used to watch Batman bef- right before my dad came home from work and, and I'd be so excited right. and I'd like act out all the superhero, uh, all of my superhero dreams. So yeah, Willow, Batman. Yeah. And then a little bit later, um, probably when I was like seven, eight, nine, Spartacus, I saw, I don't know why I was allowed to see that because it has like really, really dodgy, dark stuff in it. kidding. Yeah. Um, but I somehow saw it when I was really little. And that was because, I mean, that was the first Kubrick film I ever saw. And then Kubrick really became my idol growing up wanting as an aspiring filmmaker. But I didn't, there was a time when I always wanted to be a filmmaker, but then it kind of like turned into acting because there wasn't really, there's not really kind of support for kids in you can be a film director. It's not something that you really, that there's clubs for, or maybe there are now, but when I was growing up, there was nothing like that. So it was always just like drama club that I did. So then yeah. I, then I thought, oh, maybe oh, there's I want to be now. an actor. Mm-hmm. So it was easier for you to take the route through acting. And, yeah. and then you, and then you started pulling into your world. Like, did you ever think you would just be an actor or were you always like, I'm going to act, but I'm obviously going to direct, right? I always thought I was going to direct. Yeah. For, for me, it was like acting was a way into directing. And then I, I just like loved acting as well. So it was just like kind of best of both worlds. That's so interesting because usually people direct so that they can act more or that they mm-hmm. produce so that they can act more, but you went the opposite way. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like I've, I'll never give up acting, but directing is really just kind of, it's so difficult. I think there's something in me that's like desperate to challenge myself and desperate mm-hmm. to do the thing that is the hardest thing. Because I don't think directing, um, I don't think I'm like a natural director. I don't think that I'm a Spielberg Um I'm definitely somebody who's come by it in kind of a grafting, struggling, clawing my way up way rather than actually being naturally good at it. I think it's something that I that I have to study a lot and watch so many films and really think deeply about. I don't know if it's like this for everyone, but I think for me, it's definitely really hard. And that's what I love about it. I also when I was a kid, I was my mom's a musician and and I was kind of like really in that world, too. The reason I went into film is that music was somewhat easy, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, it's not like mm-hmm. I was a virtuoso, but I knew that I could be a musician and uh-huh. I knew that I could I could make a career out of that. And that wasn't exciting to me. There was something mm-hmm. about not knowing if I could do it, not knowing if um, if it would mm-hmm. work out and like the, the real challenge of directing that that made me do that. That's interesting. What kind of music did you do? Uh, jazz and classical. And like, like piano? Oh, no, um, singing. Clarinet, singing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, that also speaks to your personality that you would rather choose the more challenging route. I think so. I think like so. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely, yeah, I think I'd say that speaks to kind of every facet of my life, which doesn't make things fun sometimes like I definitely always want the challenge that's interesting that you should say that because I was looking at your like your portfolio of work and I was like man that's dark you're diving into dark stuff there's not like it's not like um like trauma trauma abuse uh trite circus act like there's (laughs) nothing that sort of balances it it's all quite deep Uh, is this purposeful like is this a story that you're telling 
over and over again to get through or is it something that you need to speak on like what do you think the the background is to having that kind of I don't portfolio? know why this happens it's not because I I feel like in my life I use humor a lot as a defense mechanism and it and kind of humor is my refuge I'm not kind of this person who's dressed as a sad clown crying all the time but <laughs> but everything I do ends up going really dark I start off thinking like yeah. okay I'm going to do a comedy this time. I'm going to do a comedy. Okay. It's going to be about um, a father and son and a father who has really high hopes for his son. And then he puts his son up for, for this competition. And then, the, and then the son gets injured in the competition. And then this, and it just like all for some reason spirals into darkness, everything that I, that like, even if I plan it to be a heartwarming thing, it ends up going into this dark territory. I think, yeah, I don't know. That's always just been, um, fascinating to me, the darkness of yeah. uh, people's personalities and of situations. And I think, yeah, finding, I think I find a lot of solace in darkness. Yeah. Tell me about that because I, I do think like, you know, I was kind of looking over your work and I was thinking the phrase, you write what you know, came up a lot in my brain as I mm. was looking over your work. And I was thinking like, you can't help as a director because you're writing, directing, producing and acting. So you can't help but put yourself in front of the camera in all those ways. Like your, your, your vulnerability meter is through the roof. And, and do you ever, does that ever, I don't know, does that ever like freak you out that you've got your, yourself so exposed that way? No, not really. I mean, I think, I think my pitfall in, in early in life when I was started, when I went to film school and then when I went to when I was started to make films was that mm -hmm. I just liked. And I think realizing, oh, I can, I can do what really interests me and someone will find someone else in this world will find yeah. something in it because it it's, speaks truthfully to me and it's meaningful to me. Um, and then there's kind of like a glee and a joy in just going to those, those dark places and, and kind of exploring all of my darkest impulses and big, deepest fears, that sort of, yeah, it doesn't really scare me. It's I think I think when I worked out that you have to do that in order to, or for me, I have to do it in order to have a career. Because yeah. I think if I'd had just carried on down the path of trying to please people, it just nothing would have happened. No, I feel like what you're talking about is um youth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like a young artist. Where but there are I think people that... who like there were people when I was at film school who just had that voice straight yeah, away I agree. like they were 18 yeah. 19 and they just had a uniqueness to them or they had a a point of view that was that was different and that people liked and and I was just so so um envious of those people because I didn't I was just grasping onto all of my influences and all of the the directors that I was inspired by and trying to emulate there's a quote from an article that you uh, were interviewed and in saying that you didn't know what kind of filmmaker mm -hmm. you wanted to be and through school you sort of figured out but did, and what was that journey like? Like, tell me about discovering what kind of filmmaker you wanted to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I was in film school, my films were shit. They were utter shit. They were really just like, Wes Anderson oh, wannabe. <laughs> oh, I love Wes Anderson so much. But you know what? But that's how it happens, right? We, we imitate until we find our own feet. So, yeah. Um, I did make a horror film. It's my last film in film school was a horror film that was, I just made life so hard for myself. It was set in the 1940s. It was about children 
um, who was sent away to the countryside from London. So I had all these, and I was making it in Canada. So I had all these little child actors doing British accents. Fantastic. And, and then there's like a monster. Maybe the- you wrote a comedy by accident. Yeah, it, really, it truly was. <laughs> um, it was quite tragic. But I think that was the beginning of me working out the what I wanted to do and working out the darkness. And and yeah. And then I went to back to England and I went to drama school. And I think it was really through acting that I realized that I realized what I was excited about. And yeah. I started thinking about because, you know, it's so wanky, but at drama school, you really do kind of have that time to break yourself down and ex- yeah. and kind of explore who you really are mm-hmm. and find yourself, re- like really find yourself and t- in order to be able to kind of put yourself into all these characters that you're playing. And it was sort of through that few, those few years that, that I kind of worked out who I was and what I wanted to say. And what was important to me. And and what was that? Honestly, it came from, it started with stories about uh, unlikable women. Mm-hmm. And I realized I was writing so many, um, all of my screenplays were about men. And I really, all of my idols and all the characters that I, I really gravitated towards were male characters. Yeah. And I think it was just, I, I realized as I was, because at the, the drama school I went to, it was kind of a really unique training where you get to do plays and you get to to do films and stuff, but, and then you perform them uh, in front of the the teachers and then the teachers choose the ones, the best ones, kind of like an assortment of these different solos and those get performed for an audience. And it was through creating those solo pieces where I started to write roles for myself and roles that I found interesting and they had to be women because I'm a woman. And that's when I started to realize, oh, I can, I can write, um, I can write these Travis Bickle type characters like anti-hero characters for women and and that's what got me excited to and and really sort of I think more find my voice although I still feel like I shudder when I say that because I still feel like I'm finding my voice every time I do something I mean aren't we all like isn't that per project don't don't you feel like you approach projects in order to find like another corner of yourself Mm -hmm. in some way yeah totally so with your journey do you feel like you have balanced your various crafts like your actor writer director producer or like do you always go no I want to be I want to act in everything I do or are you able to step away and just direct yeah I mean since Dusty and I teamed up um, and started collaborating together I've acted in two of our shorts and then there's one I didn't act in and then I acted in violation and then the next feature that we're writing I'm not there's not a role that I want Mm -hmm. to play so I think it's just going to be project by project I'm really excited to do something where I'm not acting and just put all of my energy into into directing yeah you're gonna find you have all this excess energy you'll be like wait a second normally I go and spend three hours working on lines I'm gonna I I hope so I take up a new skill I hope that happens I feel like what might happen is that all the adrenaline that comes from the acting will like be gone and then I'll just be tired all the time. But yeah. So do you feel like, I mean, I so love the discussion of, um, of flawed women and diving into that. Cause I mean, it's all the characters from the past that I was always attracted to as a, as a young actor, like Hedda Mm -hmm. Gabler and like Cat and Hot Tin Roof. And like, I loved all these women. And then I feel like there was a dip where all I saw were like, pretty pretty mums and yeah kind uh, teachers and then I then I dived into um some BBC stuff 
Like, do you feel like you see the roles that excite you now that you want to put into your films more? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's it's getting it's getting more and more exciting. I think for women, yeah. I still feel like there's there's really. I was thinking about this the other day because I was thinking about uh, that the sort of detective trope of like that crumpled, disheveled, ha- yet still handsome. Uh, mm-hmm. male detective who's a bit of an alcoholic and and I was thinking what is the f- the female version of that because it I haven't seen it like exactly what you're talking about because I love those characters so much like the nervous and kind of fumbly and just like wrinkly detectives but that's why I loved like things like Scott and Bailey or Happy Valley I thought yeah. those women were like in in the shit yeah and I think there's some I think British television is is really unrivaled still especially for roles interesting roles for um for older women and by older women I mean like women older than 29 <laughs> I know <laughs> yeah if people go from ingenues to like Disney grandmothers in yeah. like a flash yeah yeah so, so then how do you balance all this darkness that you're diving into like it's obviously serving you personally to dive into this kind of storytelling but how do you balance it in your world I mean there's two different ways when I'm writing it's very different from when I'm I'm acting I think acting is when the balance sort of goes a bit out the window and yeah. like for violation for example I, there was no balance it was just I mean I guess I meditated that was my a bit of like my savior every day on yeah. set I would meditate in the morning so I didn't I didn't just totally lose my mind as that character yeah. but but it definitely was really really heavy and you know I had such a, a a wonderful crew and Dusty and I lived in a in a cottage um on set with the first AD Marie Soleil and the line producer Becky Yaboa and the two of them were just these like bright sparks yeah. of joy. And they were constantly upbeat and constantly uh, just like warm and lovely and just coming kind of home to our little cottage mm-hmm. after shooting with those two was really kept my spirits up. I think that's that was, having a really great, energetic and happy crew mm-hmm. is was sort of the balance there. Agreed. Um, yeah. Because you want to have fun, like you're diving into, like, I think the quote from your, your, your production company is that you want to explore films that explore gender politics, the selfishness of human nature and abuse of power. Mm-hmm. Do, do you find that as a writer? Do you find that like you're going down a path of darkness and you're like, I got to find some hope or, you, I, I or do you go deep? I think I find, I, when I'm writing, I definitely find a twisted pleasure in the darkness. I remember my mom loves telling this story, but when I was, I, when I was, a kid, maybe uh, six years old, I used to play a game with her where I played the dentist. My character was called the dentist and she played the mom and she would bring her daughter to the dentist and her daughter was my doll. And then I would bring the daughter in and sit her in the dentist chair. And I'd say to, to my mom, okay, just wait outside and, and we'll be done in a few minutes. And then I would like narrate it. And I'd be like, now the dentist is locking the door. And now the dentist oh. is pulling out all of your daughter's teeth with no anesthesia and I I like took so much joy in this horrifying character that I was playing yeah yeah and I and I think that kind of I mean I could have either become a psychopath or I could have become a writer I feel like what was your mom doing at the time was she like does she have like a child therapist on speed dial 
she like to her credit just kind of indulged me and played along and and just thought it was my whimsy which luckily it turned out to be just that yeah um but yeah. I still feel like that with writing I'm I love writing the scenes that are fucked up I really take joy in it I don't know what like it's like you get to play out these you get to kind of exercise your demons through writing yeah yeah you spoke about that with like the the genre of revenge films and mm -hmm. like being able to go like oh wouldn't it be great if I could do this and then in films you actually get to do it T tell me about like diving into that cathartic process yeah I think I mean there were so many parts I thought when I was uh, when I was writing violation and then when we were making it it was quite different because when we were writing it I think I really did exercise those demons and it was really like okay I get to fuck someone up through my writing yeah. process that I wish that I could fuck up in real life. And then on set, it actually was really scary acting those mm -hmm. scenes. It was quite horrifying. And I think that that was really good. <laughs> good that I didn't feel like, yeah, I get to slit someone's throat. I actually felt like, yeah. fuck, this is awful. This is horrific. Yeah. It feels real. It's, it feels so awful. It's not what I thought it was going to be. And that, that's what I, that's really the journey that Miriam, the character goes on is thinking that revenge is going to wipe the slate clean, but really it actually just makes everything a million times worse. I don't know. Sometimes I, as an actor, I, I understand that where you've connected to something and it feels so real. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards you kind of go, but I, I don't really want to slit your throat just so you know, I, like, yeah. and you're buying gift baskets for people. <laughs> Tell me about when you found yourself crossing that line of being overexposed almost and being over overly vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, I think with, with the slitting the throat and the, the two hardest parts emotionally was the throat slitting. And I'm just spoiling the movie for everyone who hasn't seen it. The sawing of the leg, because mm -hmm. I mean, the, to do, to mutilate a person like that is really really disgusting and and awful yeah. but luckily that was just a silicone body so it wasn't I didn't have to um Jesse wasn't there at that point so it was like that kind of relieved some of the pressure because when you're acting with someone because there are really tough scenes between me and Jesse in the film where we're we're arguing and and it's really emotional and it's really upsetting and um that's where you have to I think just kind of have a beer afterwards and remember, remind yourself who they really are. Yeah. I mean, tell me about that, that for you, like, is that a switch that you turn on as an actor that you, you can just turn off your censorship? I mean, I, I don't, it's not really a switch. It's sort of, for me, I built a process for this character um, with Dusty. So we kind of designed mm -hmm. the character from the ground up and starting with kind of movement and, and physicality and then memory and voice and, and then different, different triggers based on who this, this person is and what they've mm -hmm. gone through in their life. And it just became part of kind of my routine in the morning. So, and so as I got ready, I got ready in character. I did my hair and makeup as Miriam would do her hair and makeup. And I just had sort of methods that I designed to metaphorically dress as that like become that character like put on the character like I would put on put on clothes so then I'm like almost sort of living as the character all day right rather than I think it's Pretty too, 
Yeah, I think, I mean, just for me, I need to kind of be thinking in character in order for it to feel authentic and for me to not feel like the work I'm doing is just really surfaced and shit. Um, And some people are, some people are amazing. I wish I had that skill as an actor to be able to just switch on and off. I'm just not talented enough for that. I have to like really work hard at it. People think acting is really easy because it looks so like you just look so real in the process and be like, oh, Mm. but the depth that you have to go to, it really is a, is a lot. And then not to mention you're working with your, your partner, not only your collaborating partner, but your like personal partner too, which also must heighten it as well. When you're like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to hurt you. This is me acting. We're (laughs) separate. What, I mean, I think, you, I mean, you've been working together for a long time. I think really it actually just works so much to the credit of the film, because when you're working with someone who firstly, who you trust implicitly and, mm-hmm. and also who knows you inside and out, it's, it's like, mm-hmm. it's so lovely as an actor because there's no fear that things won't turn out for me like working with Dusty right. as an actor that's just I I know that we're of the same mind in what we want um, yeah. and I trust his judgment I trust when he says it's not there um, and I have the confidence to ask to keep going if I am not feeling it and it and I know that it's always going to yeah I just know that it's that it's always going to turn out and and he's not afraid in any way of of me kind of losing myself in anything and and he knows like every step of the way where I'm going to push myself really far where I don't need to push myself as much and like what I'm using to get there and like there are times when he'll say is this too much to use as Mm. as a trigger to get into something do you want to try maybe using something else that that isn't so emotional or that isn't going to be that isn't going to kind of cause pain and trauma potentially after the scene is shot yeah. and and I really appreciate that yeah the after the aftershock of scenes so you've just cut somebody's limb off and then you're gonna go have yeah. a, a beer with them like that's a that's a lot yeah and like working with Dusty like how do you do you have a safe word when it gets too personal do you have like something that you are on set and going like oh this has more to do with us as a couple as opposed to us as collaborators no but <laughs> Yeah, there's times when things get really personal, but I it's always been discussed beforehand yeah. how far I'm willing to go and how far how much I want to be pushed. Yeah. And if things get really raw, um what will happen is for me is I'll just I'll let that kind of inform the character, I'll go with it. I'll see what happens and then if I'm really reeling afterwards, I'll go to take him aside and be like, "Hey, that was really that really hurt. That was a really tough thing and then we'll just like hug it out yeah yeah I read somewhere that you said when you were collaborating and writing that uh, whoever is mo- most passionate about something wins mm-hmm. which I I love but I can imagine also like passion kind of heightens it you know like like then you're sort of like what am I fighting for am I fighting to win or am I fighting because I know my idea is better yeah I it's such that- I mean th- this is a thing that I think I'm going to be learning for the rest of my life and constantly trying to grow and get better at is kind of what is my ego and what is my passion? Yeah, um, it's that's a huge disconnect in in the art. Like it's so easy to go, no, I'm passionate, and mm-hmm. you're like, no, actually, my ego is just super fragile right now. Yeah, and and I definitely, I think 
I know that I personally have a tendency to get defensive when I, when I want something or I'm being challenged about an idea mm -hmm. or a direction that I want to go in. My instinct, my gut instinct is to get defensive. And I think that comes partly from, I don't want to blame it all on my gender, but I think being a woman and having to get your voice heard. Um, mm -hmm. And specifically for me, I think I went to a private school that used to be an all boys school. It had some it was a great in a lot of ways, but it had also some very rigid kind of sexist ideals. It was very hard to, to kind of get yourself heard or be seen in a certain way as a, a girl there. And then in film school, mm -hmm. it was very difficult as a woman to get your projects made because you had to stand up in front of the class. You had to pitch. You had, people had to want to work with you on your crew. And people just, mm -hmm. guys just want to work with guys. Um, and there's something in the fucked up thing in, in the film industry, and I'm sure in lots of industries where people trust that a man will get things done and that a woman won't, um, or that a woman will be uh, too emotional or they'll lean on other people too much or their ideas will fall apart. I, I mean, just to say on that point, but like, just to say like, what happens if that's great? What happens if about, what happens if like being overly emotional and leaning on each other and, falling apart every once in a while is actually part of the process that is beautiful. Like, mm -hmm. why do we look at that as something that is lesser than- Yeah, I think in film school, um, the numbers were something like 40, uh, 40 guys and eight, eight women um, right. in the program. So again, it's just like, you're yelling the whole time to get yourself heard. So that has translated. And then in the industry, it's the same. So I think for me, I recognize that that's translated into a lot of defensiveness in feeling like, no, but I, I'm important too. I need to be heard. Fucking listen to me, God damn it. And now it's about, now that I'm at a stage where I have people who listen to me and I can make what I want to make, it's about, okay, is are my ideas always the best ideas? No. Can I unpack that defensiveness a bit and actually get to a better product a better film a better piece of art yes so it's like yeah. but it's a battle you know it's hard to yes to make work and deconstruct yourself at the same time yes oh my gosh yes and you're like on a deadline and you're on set and people are asking you a million questions yeah but uh I mean I'm I don't know about you but I'm I'm here for that journey you know mm -hmm. yeah exactly and and coming back to what um, you read about about me and Dusty saying the passion always wins. It really translates into like, if we're on set and I say we're shooting a scene and we've we've done all the floor plans and everything, and then and then I say, okay, I really want to get this shot, and Dusty doesn't really see it um, the way I do, mm -hmm. and then and I'll just say, look, this is really important to me. Like, is it? I think this is really going to work. Maybe it doesn't. And maybe it ends up just on the cutting room floor and, and we don't use it, but I'm going to kick myself if we don't get it. And then he'll just be mm -hmm. like, let's get it. Yeah. You got to choose your battles, huh? Mm -hmm. So do you think that you, well, I mean, it's a never ending process, but do you feel like you've become the filmmaker you've wanted to be? And if not, what's, what's the aspect that's lacking for you? Oh my God. Every single facet of filmmaking I feel is lacking. I can improve my directing of performances. I can improve my knowledge of, of like lensing and cameras. And I can improve just, I think just kind of picturing the film in my head is, is a skill I can get mm -hmm. better at. Yeah, I definitely think that I've made huge steps from when I very first started, but it's about 
for me kind of building out the, as much knowledge yeah. as you can and just creating sort of a knowledge bank in your own mind of of everything I'd love to get to the point especially when I think about directing performance I love directing actors and I feel like that I can always get better at that I can always get more perceptive and find uh, more kind of unique ways in I really feel like a really good director can get a fantastic performance out of anyone. And that's kind of the sort of the quest that I'm on, I think. What's some of the tools that you use when you're working with an actor? Like what kind of approach do you, I mean, you're an actor already. So I think that probably helps. Immensely. I think so. I mean, I've come to the, I used to have a sort of thing that I went through with, with every actor way that I would, I would kind of direct. I think sort of based on my acting training and then a bit of Judith Weston's um, approach. And now it's become when we cast an actor, Dusty and I will sit down and just talk to them about their process and how they like to work and, and how they work best and what gets them into things. And it's all from that. It's all from how does this particular actor work best? Because if I'm just pushing mm -hmm. every actor into one box, then I'm not going to get the best out of everyone. Was there some advice that you had in your back pocket when you first got started? Because I know like, you know, as you said, like being an actor is one thing because you know that process, you know mm -hmm. that you audition for things and then you work. But as a director, you have to create the project first. Yeah. So how is that when you first started the that advice? Uh, you mean advice that I got from other people or advice yeah. that I would or have? Like a, I guess both, like maybe advice that you got, but then you've made your own. Um, Cause I think, I, I just think that, you know, you're such a self-made person. I see that you set yourself some goals and you're achieving them and you're acting and you're producing your writing. So, um, and I think a lot of people are in your shoes where they're like, where do I start? How do I mm -hmm. even begin this journey? Yeah, oh my God, it's just, I think it's just having a kind of modicum of delusion um yeah. where you can just kind of set reality aside yeah. and and believe in yourself even when yeah. even when the odds are stacked against you Re really it's yes I think that's really it I remember because for a while I wanted to be a director and then I got really sort of disillusioned and I really didn't think that I was good enough to be a director and, and mm -hmm. that's when I went to drama school and I thought okay I'll just be an actor and a writer and I won't try directing it's just too hard I'm not cut out for it um, I don't have a thick enough skin and then when I when I was at drama school um, I met another actor there and we started uh, making projects together he was directing mm -hmm. and I was writing and acting and every time we made something we'd get into these huge blowout fights and he would be like you are such a backseat director you just want to direct and I'd be like I don't want to direct I hate directing stop telling me I want to direct <laughs> and then yeah. I think finally yeah. it wasn't and even meanwhile yeah. And, and finally, I think I just realized, yeah, that I do. And he was totally right. I did just want to direct. And I just was, yeah, I just went through a, a, a kind of phase of about five years where I really didn't feel like I could do it. Cause it's fucking hard. It's yeah. really, had really, somebody, really hard. Had something shaken your, your faith in yourself with directing? I think it was honestly film school. Mm. I just felt like everyone was more talented than I was. And 
it was so hard to make a film. It was like the emotional toll that it took on me. And I was doing everything as well. And I didn't, I hadn't really learned to kind of let go of the reins and let mm. and collaborate. I was just kind of being puppet master of every single facet of the production. And I think that was really kind of harming my mental and physical yeah. health. And I wasn't very talented. And I think I just, my ego took a big hit after film school when I realized I wasn't the best and I need to work really hard to, to actually thrive in this industry. And, and I kind of retreated for a bit into something that, that was a bit easier for me to do. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I also think like that everybody in the, in the journey of art in any way comes to a point when they go, oh, I'm not as good as I thought I was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is really like, it's a real eye opener, but I think it's also, it's that old ego. Like, how do you, how do you put that into check as you move forward? Like when you said you sort of have to blindly just move forward, but mm -hmm. even going forward, you know, like with Violation, that was a huge project and it's gotten amazing awards and it's going to serve you on your journey, but you're going to have to do your next project. Yeah. And people will be like, oh, remember Violation? Look at this one. So it's already going to be like this dodgy time of your ego. How do you keep that in check? Yeah, I, I don't really know. I feel like I just say to myself, I can be good. And I always want to want to be better than the last thing I did. So I kind of, I think it's good practice to look at the last thing you did and say, okay, what were the, what were the shitty things about it? I can do better next time. And then you're right. not like wallowing in the accolades and thinking, but what if my next film doesn't play Sundance? It's like, no, but this oh. film had some shit parts. So look at those and then think, how can I, <laughs> how can I get better than that? Right. So examine the shit parts. I, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. It's so, I mean, gosh, we're just like, it, it's a mess. Like, I mean, it's almost like when you have a really successful project, it's almost like you want to just do something entirely different so mm -hmm. that you don't ever get compared to your past project. Yeah. But looking ahead to your next project, are there things that you're like, okay, this time I want to do this? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're um, already writing our next project, which is in some ways really different, but then there's some similarities. It's not a horror film. Um, it's a drama, but there's still kind of themes of family and, and there's still I was some darkness say, in there. <laughs> but just with a sousson of tragedy, trauma and yeah. heartache. But yes, okay. It wouldn't um, feel right otherwise. And then we're working, we've got a couple of sci-fi ideas that we really want to do as well. Both of us are massive sci-fi fans. And, and then we've got a dark comedy that we're working on, which again is like emphasis on the dark, but it's got some really fun bits too. Well, as a director and producer, writer, gosh, it's hard to really differentiate the various hats you, move, you wear <laughs> but like as a creator for this next time is there something that you want to do artistically that you haven't done before I yeah I don't want to act I think that's that's mm. the main thing and then I mean there's things that every project kind of has its own life and becomes its own thing so violation the the kind of cinematography and the uh, production design and the the style of acting everything was there to um, as best as it could serve what what the project was and and I think what Dusty and I were trying to say so the next thing is going to be very different stylistically just because it's it's about different things that's exciting 
Well, gosh, I mean, I could speak to you all day. This is, I'm so excited to see your journey. I was looking at your, your various films that you do and I was like, how do you, how do you top this? So it'll be really <laughs> exciting, even in the world of dark comedy. What are you watching these days that you're inspired by in dark comedy world? What am I inspired by? Um, this is, um, I had an audition once when I was auditioning for drama schools. I auditioned for Central and I did my monologue and everything went great. And I was like riding high off that. And then they said, tell us your top three favorite movies and why. And my mind just went like blank, like, like there was nothing. I couldn't even think of a single movie, yeah. let alone a movie I liked. So I'm always really terrible. At, I've got to think what I've watched because the last thing I watched was Thor, which is just, yeah, that's you a know, big trash. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I saw, uh, and this was a while ago, but there's, because Tiff's coming up, um, mm -hmm. I feel like I should plug a film. There was, there's a beautiful movie that I saw at Sundance called Jockey. And it's at Tiff this year. And it's a drama about, a jockey who's kind of at the end of his career and he it's it's a real character study but really beautiful really compelling unbelievable performances so if people are going to tiff they should see jockey i love that uh, speaking of tiff i mean last year you were one of the rising stars to watch and that was an amazing opportunity for your film as well mm -hmm. is there any be any kind of like uh, reflection of the year after that celebration yeah. yeah I mean I think it's been a really incredible year it's funny saying that because of the year it's been like stuck in my house with my cats but it really but really it has I think yeah. Rising Star opened so many doors and allowed me to to meet so many people and to mm -hmm. to yeah just like get that recognition it was really I, I feel so so lucky to have been part of part of Rising Stars this really was kind of the beginning of a real tidal wave year. Do you and Dusty live together? Yes yeah and so are you constantly like oh I got another idea oh, yeah <laughs> like you have a portfolio of ideas so I mean I yeah. kind of get it I live with my my husband obviously I live mm -hmm. with my husband but uh we collaborate and we're actors and we're always thinking about comedy stuff but I I know that feeling of like waking up and be like what do you want to create so you kind of like live through this pandemic in a in a creative space yeah that's really true and and we do have endless endless ideas I mean even since the uh when we met I think what really sparked our friendship was just how many ideas we had and I remember us because mm -hmm. we were both part of the the TIFF filmmakers lab and um, I remember we would just go to a bar or walk around the city and just brainstorm ideas. Mm -hmm. And we just had so many and we've, yeah, I feel like we have so many ideas. We could be making films until for many lifetimes. So it's just about like picking yeah. the, one, the ones that are the best ideas. Do you ever have like a, a date that doesn't bring up any kind of ideas? No. No. <laughs> we used to say we used to say we'd have a like a like a we'd go out for dinner and be suddenly the dinner would turn into a production meeting and it was yeah. really hard to yeah <laughs> but I love that but like I yeah, yeah I, I really enjoy it's I enjoy having yeah. my life revolve around creativity and and making things and that's really fun for me uh well I can't wait I can't wait to see what you do next I think uh you obviously care so much about what you're creating and it comes across in everything that you're doing and it's really uh it's a real pleasure to watch thank you the three 
four brains, the three, the four brains of your actor brain, your director brain, your writer brain, your producer brain come together <laughs> and uh, explode on screen. It's amazing. Thanks. Um, so I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to wrap it up first of all by turning the tables and answering any question that you have. Which yes. You do. I great. Um, so because people I always love... look so cheeky at this time. <laughs> people always go yes, like they sort of get like a sparkle behind their eye. Go it's on. fun to ask the questions. So because I, I kind of love the, the darkness and the darkest hours, um, I think one thing when I was uh, acting, when I was making films, when I was starting out in, in my early 20s, stories that really inspired me were hearing about directors and actors' struggles and moments where they felt like it was the darkest hour um, yes. And I guess that my question for you is, did you have a moment that, did you have a darkest hour? Did you have like a moment where you oh felt like, I can't do this? First of all, I grew up with my father reading me uh, Russian fairy tales. So I don't know if you know about Russian fairy tales, but they are dark. They're yeah. like, like it's Hansel, not Hansel and Gretel dark, but like Sleeping Beauty, but Sleeping Beauty gets eaten by Baba Yaga. Like it's <laughs> really, really dark. So I, I, I sort of walk that path. But I do remember going through a particularly like challenging time in my career and being just like, um, I don't know, just like done. Like you're like, you know, that feeling of just like, I, I give up, mm -hmm. I give up. I don't know what to do. I don't know what more I can give to my craft. I don't know what more I can do to my auditions. And I was doing a show at the time and I was on stage crying, like just crying not like not like weeping gently like Demi Moore and Ghost but like bawling like shaking crying and nobody like stopped the show they just kind of let her go and just... <laughs> so I remember like stepping off stage and going I gotta I gotta make some changes and I think I mean gosh what did I change there it was probably something to do with my relationship that I was having at the yeah. time but that was a pretty dark dark moment that's you a good one as well I do, I you have was when you thought like I don't want to go on. I I had a moment after I graduated drama school and I got a call from a really big agent and and to go in and and meet with them and I sent them my uh my demo reel and then I went in for the meeting and I was just feeling like yeah I'm going to sign with this huge <laughs> agent right after drama school and the woman sat me down and she was like firstly she was like you're very thin which I thought was like a weird comment to begin with, but I was unbelievably skinny. Um, and then she was like, look, we have some of the top British soap actors. We have actors from Coronation Street. You're gonna need to work a little harder. And that was it. Okay. That was like my meeting with this big agent. And I remember I went home and I lay on the sofa and I just like stared at the ceiling in my tiny yeah. studio London apartment. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm done. fucked. I'm done. Yeah. And I think I lay there for like an hour just staring at the ceiling and then mustered the energy to make myself the heaters or something. And then right. <laughs> but it was but it was horrible. Did something turn? Like Madeline, did something turn at that point that you that kind of got you got got you going again? I don't remember what snapped me out of it. I think it took a couple of days of me feeling like no one's ever gonna like me. I'm shit. And what's yeah. the point in even trying? And then it was just like that delusion that slowly takes over again. It's like, but maybe I can make it. Maybe I can do it. <laughs> Thank goodness our short-term memory, right? Like yeah. you have, I have such a poor short-term memory that even when you said, what are your darkest hours? And I'm like, gosh, I don't think I've had yeah. it. <laughs> but for sure I have. Like agent wise, I was the last person in my theater school class to get an agent. 
Like mm-hmm. everybody in the class, as we were graduating, they were like, oh, I just got another audition. And they were like all booking these auditions. And I was like, nothing, nothing. I was losing my mind. And then I finally booked, booked an agent. But I was like, for the longest time, I was like, what is going on? Do I need yeah. to shave my head? Do I need to grow another ear? What do I need to do? And I think that kind of goes to what we were talking about earlier about like trying to please other people. And then I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? Two ears is going to have to be good enough. This is who I am. It's hard how much validation um, as actors and directors you you need from other people to succeed. It's really it's like a fucked up thing where you rely on on other people to say that you're good. Yeah. Yeah. As I asked this question, I'm already answering it, but like we're always gonna need validation. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that with getting it less than than you used to? I think it's just, I don't know, I guess just with age, I care less what other people think. It's mm. just sort of faded away. I don't have the the ambition that I used to have. My ambition now is more about just making things that I like and that are good. Mm-hmm. And and I don't have these crazy lofty goals that I set myself that that will somehow validate me. I don't really care about things like agents and and getting those accolades is great if if it happens but it's yeah I don't know it's faded away I think I think the older you get that's one of the nice things about aging is that you you realize the things that were so life or death in your 20s are are just nothing and just laughable now yeah. All right. Let me wrap it up with some some firecracker wrap up questions. Here we go. Fill in the blank. To me, a firecracker is a I don't know a redhead. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. You have there's no just so you know that you can't be wrong in these answers. Uh, what do you want to be best known for? For being honest. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. If this was a movie, so if your life was a movie, and we're about to roll the credits. What was like the turning point in your life? Like the climactic moment that changed the rest of your life forever? Oh, that's a good question. I think the turning point in my life was realizing I was a feminist. Hmm. What was that moment like? That was, it was actually at, when I was at film school. I think when I was in high school, I really sort of saw feminism through a viewpoint of, oh, feminists are just people who hate men and, men are great what's why do you want to hate men and then I started to realize kind of the insidiousness and and I started to read a lot more and just become more of a well-rounded educated person and and realized actually what what feminism really meant I get that I think I I I'm constantly reminded of my inner feminist when I am like raging about things in the world and Mm -hmm. then I'm like oh that makes me rageful. I'm a feminist. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just going about the life the way Naomi does. All right. Uh, what's something that people don't know about you? Oh, I'm such an open book. I feel like I tell people everything about myself. I don't know. I think people. Yeah, maybe people know pretty much they everything. Know everything about you. Yeah, love it. That's all right. What is uh, what's been your best mistake? And what did you learn from it? Yeah, I think mistakes I've made not going into details with relationships where I took people for granted. Yeah, I think that's a big lesson. I think that's a good lesson to realize that you have taken someone for granted and you can do better than that. Yeah, I like that. What's something that you haven't done yet, but you know you have to do? I have to go to the Grand Canyon. Mm. What's about the Grand Canyon that you know you're drawn to? I have that thing where you stand on a bridge and you get the feeling that you want to jump off it. Mm -hmm. And I love that feeling. And I feel like the Grand Canyon is the ultimate 
in that feeling, yeah. I'm going to stand on the edge and just get that rush of feeling like I could just jump in to this chasm. I feel like that moment is a scene in a movie either that you have created or will create of a woman standing on the edge and, and having that impetus that she might jump. I've thought about that being the very end of my life. Like, just what a what a movie way to end my own life is when I'm old and I've made all the films I want to make and I've got a terminal illness and I just go take my Grand Canyon trip. Oh wow. That's that's a dark wow. way to end things. I mean, is it or is it like I mean it's you're in control, so there's something yeah light about that. I don't know. Um, who's a firecracker in your life that you'd like to give a little shout out to? Oh, you know, I know this one straight away. There's a wonderful, wonderful friend of mine. She's a director and actor. Her name is Grace Glowicki, and she's about to make her first um, micro budget feature through Telefilm's uh, Talent to Watch program. And I just think Amazing. she's phenomenal. What do you what's what's an aspect of her that you're you're drawn to? She's a, just such a fearless actor. Her film Tito is so experimental and she does things with physicality as an actor as on film that mm. you, you really, that I haven't seen outside of theater. And I think she's pushing boundaries yeah. and just doing some really, really cool stuff. Where do you find your power? Where's your, where do you find yourself most powerful? You know, I think from my family. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think my family, um, I was a real family girl growing up and and I think they gave me kind of a basis of belief in myself mm. and a voice. Yeah, and I think it always just kind of goes back to them. Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes I ask that question and I get everything from like what you said, family or I don't know, work or something like that. And then somebody said to me, my boots. I feel really <laughs> powerful in my boots. And I'm like, I get that. Like having yeah. a good pair of boots yeah. Makes complete sense to me. Yeah, entirely. Okay, my final question is, what advice, what advice would you have given, given to your younger Madeline? Just stop giving a shit so much. Just like- it's so hard. Yeah. It just, no one cares. So, so you shouldn't care. Yeah. Yeah, that is a really hard, I mean, I feel like I constantly tell myself that now because I just care. Yeah, and I care what people say and all those things, but I yeah, it's a good one. I imagine sometimes going back to my bedroom, my teenage bedroom and being able to just give myself advice and be like, OK, here's what you need to do. Your life will be yeah. so much better if you just do these things. But then like the truth of it is that you'd be like, I'm not listening to you. You don't know me. Yeah. You can't tell me yeah. who I owe you are me. <laughs> Wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much. Thanks for spending some time with me. And I'm so thrilled to have you part of this firecracker thank part you. of the podcast. This is great. And, this was uh, really nice. Yeah. And good luck. Good luck with all the projects coming on. You know that uh, if you ever need some firecrackers in your corner, you've got them. So if oh, you have projects thanks. that you're looking to... Uh, find support and you got some folks in your corner. Sweet. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Madeline. Thank you so much. Real pleasure. Cheers. Oh, I just love, I love talking to these artists. I can't help but finish these chats and then be like, I love what we get to do. Now you can follow Madeline at Madeline underscore Sims fewer for the latest updates on all, all of the Madeline magic. That's right. Double M. Madeline Magic, and for Dusty's projects, go to dmfilms.com. You can see their latest film, Violation, on Amazon Prime, iTunes, and Shudder. 
I'd love to know what you what you thought of these films that Madeline puts out. I'd also love to know what resonated for you with my discussion with Madeline. Let this podcast be the first step into more discussion online so we can really get engaged with the fellow firecracker community in the world. Because we're an international organization. We've got firecrackers, gosh, in Mumbai, Berlin, UK, uh, Nashville, uh, all over the States, all over Canada. Where are you? Drop us a line, tell us where you are, Firecracker, and tell us what resonated for you in this chat. Go on over to our Instagram or Twitter at FirecrackerDEPT, or, you know, you can always leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd love to see what you think about these chats. We want to hear from you, bottom line. So head over to our website at FirecrackerDepartment.com, subscribe to our newsletter to have the inside track on upcoming events, like mentorship events, script readings, upcoming podcast guests. You're going to be the first to know. So subscribe to our newsletter at firecrackerdepartment.com. All right, go on out there, take some creative action today, and have a fantastic Firecracker Day. I'm Naomi, and thanks for listening to the Firecracker Department. Winnie Wong is our Firecracker head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong 8 on Twitter. This episode is edited by Shane Stoltz. You can follow them at Shane Stoltz, all one word, and Shane with a Y. This intro was written by the one and only wonderful Winnie Wong. That's right, she's a triple W. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. Get into the full Firecracker Department core team at firecrackerdepartment.com about because we're always updating and we're always growing. Stay tuned to our newsletter for advanced updates on our monthly meditations, upcoming mentorship workshops, live script department readings, festival partnerships, weekly writing workouts, and dates for 2021, and so much more. There's lots going on in Firecracker Department. Now, whether you're a first-time or a long-time listener to the Firecracker Department, we always, always want to hear from you. We love hearing what quotes, the specifics, the nuances of things that stuck with you. We mean it. We really do. And we respond to every single thing that comes our way. If it gives your brain goosebumps or it piques your curiosity or makes you want to stop and write something down, send it back to us or our Firecracker guest or both. I mean, everybody likes to know that when they put something out into the world, that it resonates. And if it sparks something in you, use that creativity to take some creative action. Share it because it just reverberates, you know? If you see somebody being creative, that might spark somebody else's creativity. So pay it forward. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music. And thanks to you, yeah, you, sitting there, driving there, walking there, working out there, and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>